Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. If you're a software developer, you probably have your favorite tools and platforms that make your life easy and productive. You've got a favorite IDE, clean packaging process, an app runtime that you've tuned and secured. But if you transition into Web3 lately, you might be adopting a whole new tool chain. For example, in the past, we've spoken to the founders of Tenderly, who are building the leading Web3 IDE. And for many developers in Web3, the app may actually just be a smart contract deployed onto Ethereum. But I've been wondering, what about more complex applications? Is there a Web3 native app runtime that's global and censorship resistant? Well, that's where our next guest comes in. Daniel Keller is the co-founder of Flux. He and the Flux community have been busy building the last five years, and today you can take any application that runs in a Docker container and deploy to a globally distributed and fully decentralized cloud infrastructure. We get into the technical details of what you can run on Flux and how they've kept their community grassroots while providing a highly secure and trustable application runtime. For more on that topic, and of course, all things crypto crime, you're in luck. The 2023 Chainalysis Crypto Crime Report is now available. See the show notes for the download link. And if you'd like to meet the team behind the report live and in person, well, then you need to join me in New York City on April 4th and 5th for the Chainalysis Links Conference. Get your ticket today because I'm expecting the conference to sell out any day now. As always, you can find the registration details in the show notes. See you there. Today, we're going to dive into a topic that merges my life prior to Chainalysis to this crazy world of crypto that we're all in. My guest today is Daniel Keller, the co-founder of Flux. Daniel, welcome to the show. Ian, thanks for having me on here today. Really look forward to diving down the Flux rabbit hole. I've got so many questions. I'm new to Flux, so I'm going to make a wild guess that most of our listeners, this might be the first time that they're hearing about Flux. So why don't we start there? Give us a brief explanation of what you and the team are building. You're probably right. The majority of the folks that are hearing this for the first time, they're finding Flux for the first time, which is awesome because Flux has been around for five years. So we've methodically built the project out to build particular use cases before we really move into like a full out marketing push. We're very mature project, very mature ecosystem. We are Web3, essentially. We are decentralized compute network. So we have two sides to our house. We have our mining side, which is our proof of work side. And then we also have our proof of use work side, which is the actual node networks that runs on our layer two. So we utilize layer one for our consensus mechanism and transactional validators. And our layer two is essentially proof of use work where you can deploy really anything that you can dockerize. So the easiest way to explain that is we're AWS on the blockchain. And why is that important? Well, I can deploy websites, dApps, front ends, back ends, game servers, you name it. And you can do it on Flux in a decentralized manner. That means it's not hosted in some colo data center somewhere, right? It's actually ran on 16,000 nodes all over the world by what I call decentralized systems administrators. These are folks that run the enterprise-based infrastructure and they're rewarded with the Flux asset. So myself and the two co-founders, today's Comenta and Parker Honeyman, have been on the project for five years since its inception. And our goal was to all the bright and shiny things that everyone talks about in crypto and everywhere else, whether it's metaverse or AI or DeFi or CeFi or FinTech, whatever the soup du jour is, right? We're going to run all those things because Flux is a pure infrastructure play. We don't 
have to do the bright and shiny. We're going to leave that up to the folks that are already doing that. We're going to provide you with decentralized infrastructure. So if you are in DeFi and you're running on AWS, you're not DeFi. You're basically Web 2.5. So get your infrastructure to flux. And now you're a 100% decentralized platform, decentralized by birth in whatever chain you came from and decentralized in infrastructure because it's run on flux, which is basically a global network. That was kind of our target. We fixed a lot of different problems, sometimes by design and sometimes not by design, because whenever you're building Web3 and disruptive technology, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And you realize, hey, we got to have two-factor authentication, but we don't want to use Google or we don't want to use the centralized platform. So what are we going to do? Well, we had to build decentralized two-factor authentication. You know, we need a self-sovereign ID that ties all of this together, but we don't want to necessarily tie this to centralized. How do we do it? We built Zelle ID. So these are all different pieces that we had to develop in the ecosystem. And that's honestly why your folks haven't heard of us till now is we're ready for prime time. You've been busy building and now now is the moment where you're coming out of stealth, ready to go. I have so many questions. So just to baseline a little bit, because we've got a lot of people that listen that are crypto policy or deep in crypto, but maybe not so much in infrastructure. At the most basic layer, I can think about Flux as being a hosting provider in the same way that I might think about Amazon or Azure or Google. But one really big difference is that, you know, those companies, they spend tens of billions of dollars a year in capital to buy servers, operate data centers, build out networks. And your approach here is anyone can operate a node on the Flux network and it's distributed all around the world. I I looked at your network dashboard. We'll provide a link in the show notes so anybody else can go and check this out. But the map goes everywhere. I mean, it's nearly every country on on the map. It looked like there's at least one flux node running. How does all that work? Like, I, I think this is one of these problems where a decentralized network introduces a lot of problems that I would imagine some of these centralized cloud providers don't have to deal with when it comes to scale and performance and security. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about that. That was question number one for me. Well, I think the big thing is this, Ian, you go back and in your life, there'll be like pivotal points where you'll have the old technology and then the new technology comes into place, right? So if you remember Radio Shack, Radio Shack was like the biggest thing out there, right? If you want an electronic component, you had to go to Radio Shack. When Jeff Bezos was creating Amazon, he wasn't thinking about dethroning Radio Shack. He was thinking about how do I sell my books and build a framework, a delivery model framework that it doesn't matter if I draw books in there or socks or or t-shirts or whatever it is, motorcycles or whatever, I can sell it because the framework's been created. Well, Flux is exactly that. We have built a delivery model, a framework that will deliver it out. So what separates us from the AWSs, the Microsofts, and so on and so forth, this is a disruptive technology. And these are the difficult questions that we have to engage in because people look at it and they say, well, that looks different than what I've done. So let's rewind back to what I call Web 1. You know, I am a chief information officer by trade. That's what I, that's how I cut my teeth, right? 15 years ago, it was all about centralization. I had big data centers. I had, you know, multiple redundant failovers. I had geographically dispersed and I owned it all. My capital was ridiculous. I spent tons of money on infrastructure. And then along comes cloud. 
And I remember the first time I was ever in a meeting and it was actually meeting with Amazon and we sat down and they were pitching their AWS platform that they had created. We had to build a framework. Now we have a byproduct and that's compute power. Now I'm going to sell it, right? You know, I was sitting there and I'm like, in my mind as a technology guy, I'm like, oh, my data is going to be somewhere in this cloud everywhere, here or there. What's that look like? That's terrifying. But naturally, as people started to migrate to the cloud, then it became second nature to think, what is legacy? What do I need to sell? set on this side and what can I deploy save money time scale on cloud and now I have these two in tandem and flux does the exact same thing it allows web one which doesn't go away people are still going to run their own infrastructure they're going to run their own servers and have their own data centers they're going to use web two which is centralized but highly scalable highly available so on and so forth and now they're going to have the exposure to web three which is cheap it's fast it's decentralized and it fits the mold for all three of these to work in symbiotic relationship I'm not a maximalist I think that we can all work together in this crazy world of what web three will be you you know, we recently announced our partnership with OVH and Lumen, which are Web2 customers, right? And they're very forward thinking. They understand that this conceptually, like we go back to, I said, there come these aha moments. Okay, Radio Shack died because of Amazon, essentially, because nobody wanted to go to Radio Shack. They could just order it on Amazon. So I think we're at the point again, where it's like this pivotal change in infrastructure because right now the big three let's say microsoft google and aws they control the pricing structure and the pricing structure is basically built all around what it costs for their deployments and it's still a gross amount of markup 60 percent of revenue on amazon is aws right they control exactly what the cost is what the price is for deployment so on and so forth and along comes Flux. It says, we can do everything you're going to do, and we're going to do it for pennies on the dollar. This is the moment. I think we're a little bit different than those guys in different ways, yeah. but I think we accent each other very well. It's pretty amazing. And I think one of the things that struck me initially on, on visiting your website is most people, when they talk about running a decentralized app or a DAP, what they really mean is a smart contract. Yeah. And generally in the context of Ethereum or another EVM chain, like, and so not to minimize that, but I think people who come from outside of the world of Web3, when they say application, they tend to be thinking much more complex, right? A database, an application server, maybe a web server, a bunch of middleware is an application. And anybody that's been building kind of modern or what are often called cloud native applications, you know, you start thinking about microservices and global redundancy, you start to imagine something that looks like the Netflix architecture that's yes. delivering streaming video to millions of people. You know, in this world of crypto, like it, suddenly what's a decentralized app has gotten reduced way down from that kind of big complexity to uh, a handful of lines of solidity in many cases. But in your case on Flux, you're actually saying, no, 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 you can run anything on this platform that you can run in a Docker container. That's Talk right. to me a little bit about that, because that surprising differentiation or expansion of the concept of a DAP. Yeah, and you mentioned this, you know, a lot of the layer one projects like with Ethereum and so on and so forth, you think on-chain scaling, right? You think of like, if yeah. I'm going to deploy something and it's going to be a DAP, it's going to have on-chain scaling components to it. Flux went completely the other way. So you hear a lot of blockchain projects say, we're a blockchain project and we're trying to do something technological. Flux is a technology project that happens to have a blockchain. And it's essential for the project, but our layer one is just a transactional and consensus model. Our layer two, where the proof of use work kind of hits home, that's where people can deploy things. And when we built this out, we have 65 plus people in the project. And I would say 
three-fourths of them are infrastructure folks. These are people that have been in the technology space for a long period of time, and they understand that this is the next iteration of technology and deployment models, right? One, it reduces costs. Two, it's full redundancy across the globe. Three, it takes away these centralized components, these data centers. You know, AWS cloud is here in the United States or other places where they actually have a cloud, like a data center. You can go see it and feel it. With Flux, it's completely out there in the ethos. It's in Dan's basement and Chuck's attic and, you know, maybe it's some things over there. So I think that does change exactly what our definition is of what decentralized application is. And it's an educational piece. So when we first heard the word smart contract, it took us a while to kind of wrap our heads around what a smart contract was, you know, and why it would be important and why it's executable. Flux took it a step further because we realized it isn't just about smart contracts. It's about the infrastructure and the technology that runs all these components. And there are products out there that are doing a real good job at developing smart contracts, NFTs, maybe DeFi, whatever. That's great. And we want to support them. Being able to deploy in Docker also breaks down that user base that's coming from web two into web three. The number one question I get from everyone is how do I become a web three developer? With Flux, you just have to be a developer, right? It's just deployment of what you've already built. So whether yep. you're running it in a web two world or a web one world, and you want to transition it to a web three world, Flux makes it seamless to walk it over. I Go saw ahead. on the website, just so people get a perspective of what could run here, you know, it's everything from WordPress, far and away most popular thing to run websites on the internet. 60% of the uh, internet runs on WordPress. Yeah. So I can deploy a full WordPress environment on Flux, but you've also got a number of Web3 projects. Like you've got a couple actual blockchains are running atop the Flux infrastructure, I think. Yep. What else could I run besides those examples? Ian, the only thing you're limited to is your imagination. And and these are some <laughs> these are some of the things that we run right now. We help yeah. You know, multiple blockchain projects who are decentralized and they want to continue to be decentralized. So like Kadena, yep. we run 3,000 plus Kadena nodes all over the world. You've got Pivx, you've got Dash, you've got Haven, you've got just about every protocol that's proof of work has something deployed on Flux to continue to bolster their decentralization. If you're an app developer, we've got tons of dApps, you know, 30,000 plus deployments on the, on the platform right now that are just different dApps that are running. If you've created something in Web 2 and you want to port it to to web three because it's inherently people think of you know moving from web one the netscape navigators the aol so and so forth into web two the googles where it's now it's you know so you read read write and now it's read write own so these folks yep. that have built and spent tons of resources developing these things in web two will only want to gradually move to web three they'll want to do this redundancy where they span both sides as they move over and then eventually it's a natural assimilation in, into web three so game servers front ends back ends you name it i'd say the only thing we're working on that we really need to work on is i think there's two parts to this i think there's a docker side but there's also the kubernetes side and that's yeah. part of the reason we started working with you know lumen and ovh in web two too, is to allow start some of those folks to start moving kubes over to Flux as well. So somebody asked me about the project, where do you see it in a year or five years? It's came way farther in five years than I ever could have dreamed of. And I imagine within the next several years, it's going to be way farther beyond that. So it's that, a good experience. 
That's pretty amazing. We're not going to have time today to go down the Kubernetes rabbit hole, but maybe you and I can do that offline. That, Absolutely. That's from my, uh, my world previous to joining Chainalysis. I spent a lot of time in Kubernetes land. The next point I wanted to dive in on a little bit, and you touched on it a moment ago, there's a layer one blockchain actually running here. So this is the Flux blockchain. Mm -hmm. People are mining, provide, you know, creating a, a network, validating consensus on that chain, earning rewards for doing that. Talk a little bit about what the purpose of that is and how that relates to then the, the layer two you described that's the runtime. Like connect those two for me. The co-founders of the project were all pretty much Bitcoin maximalists in the sense that, you know, we believe proof of work was the end all be all. And when we developed Flux, uh, initially it was Zellcash in the beginning, but it became Flux. We wanted to make sure that we actually made this decentralized. So, you know, proof of stake based assets were on the rage at that particular point in time. Everybody was ICO and everybody was, you know, making tokens, so on and so forth. And we were like, yeah, we're not really all about that. We want this to be de decentralized. We want, you know, 98% of of the mineable assets to go to the community. We don't want them to get 1% and the rest of them go to VC laden. Flux never took a penny in VC, never took a penny in loans or anything like that. It's completely organic growth internally. The developers have committed their life to being here really. And people that know Flux will shake their head because the community commits in. When, when the founders are available and their founders are present, it means the community will grow uh, organically. In the end, I think you know what sets Flux apart from a lot of these projects is the fact that we are very forward thinking. We want to make other projects better. And I always compare it to the gold rush, right? We're selling the pickaxes, the shovels, the jeans, you name it, to the folks that are going out there in the gold rush and doing their thing. So the reason why proof of work was so important for us is we wanted that decentralized. And we also wanted to focus on that last letter, work. We believe that you can't mint 100% of your tokens and be decentralized. You just can't. Some would argue that and we could go back and forth for a week about that. But the reality of it is, is Satoshi Nakamoto, when he penned proof of work, his impression was it was mining. It was creating value, electric, space, time, resources capital investments, right? And then the byproduct of that was being able to mine Bitcoin. And we carried that over to Flux as well. So it was important for us to be miner centric. We also took a very hard line at the beginning and continue to keep this till this very day and will always going forward that we're only GPU mineable. Why is that important? Well, we don't run into the same issue that Bitcoin did where you have centralized massive ASIC farms that hold 20% of the hash rate, right? So we wanted to make sure that this was, if Dan's just a regular guy and he wants to mine flux, he can do that. So we put a lot of our attention on our layer one at, to begin with and build out our proof of work model. And then when we went to our proof of useful work model with our node network, so we basically split our block reward, half goes to the miners and half goes to the node operators. And then that's how we grew organically, continue to keep developing. So... You know, I tell people we happen to have a layer one blockchain. It's two minute block times. It's not about TPS for us. It's just about transactional and consensus mechanism. Where the magic happens is that layer two, that decentralized compute network. What is a transaction on that layer one though? Like when something's written there, is it simply me exchanging flux with you? Is it somehow validating those layer two nodes? Why would I process a transaction on flux? So everything is happening on Flux. One thing we did with Flux is we wanted to make sure everything in the ecosystem, because people talk about utility-based assets, Flux is the OG of utility because it's okay. baked into every component. 
So whether you're deploying nodes, deploying an app or a DAP or something of that nature, you have to use Flux for everything. And the, those transactions are all recorded on the blockchain. So if I stand up a new node, I'm basically putting a transaction to the blockchain. And what that does is it basically gives us the power of that decentralized blockchain. And it also allows us to basically do everything we need for everything else. It's really about establishing some sort of trust relationship with the nodes that will be running my applications that exist on, you know, as part of the layer two runtime. But things like as a user where I'm starting and stopping an app or scaling it up or deploying a new app, I'm not it necessarily... Still it ties back to the blockchain. So Oh, does it? Yeah, it still yeah. gets written out to the layer one. Okay. Yeah. So the layer one is just like final consensus, right? It's just okay. saying if I'm deploying a node, I have to deploy to the chain, wait a hundred confirmations and then the node's active, right? So Wow, okay. It, we do more transactions per day than Litecoin. So we're like the number two yeah. largest fork of Bitcoin. Like you could argue Ethereum, whatever, but that's proof of stake now. But we do more transactions. We do about 100, 125, 145,000 transactions a day across our blockchain, which is very active. To put that in perspective, Bitcoin does about a quarter of a million. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah. It means our network is being high, highly utilized. In and Interesting. Is Flux a, a fork of Bitcoin? Did you all start with a, the Bitcoin code base? We actually started with the Zcash code base, which okay. really used the Bitcoin code base. So initially when we did the Zcash fork, we had thought a lot about privacy pieces. We then removed that after the fact. So we, we're really, if you want to get down to brass tacks, we're a fork of Bitcoin because Got we it. were a fork of Zcash, but then we removed the privacy features. Now we're not, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and it just made sense for us because there was a quite a bit of emphasis around privacy at that particular point in time. And, and that's why we chose Zcash. But then as we set and we really started to think about what the project was going to do by definition. It didn't make sense to have that risk area for us. Other projects that are doing privacy really, really well, and we'll work with those projects. So whether it's ZK rollups or whatever the scenario is that's deployed on Flux, you'll be able to have that privacy component, but it'll be a parallel asset or something of that nature that runs on Flux. I'd love to step back a little bit. We jumped right into the deep end of the pool and skipped past you know, your own background and how you came to, to be one of the creators of this project. You've obviously been at it for a while. I think you said you got started about five years ago. Maybe just give us the sketch of you know, how you found yourself in this world of crypto and, and what led you to, to launch Flux in the first place. Yeah, so I've been in the space for a very long time. So I consider myself kind of an OG. I fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, went, locked myself in the office for the weekend and came out and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this because this is amazing. You know what I mean? Like, I what, what year was that where you discovered Bitcoin? It would have been 20... 11, 2011, something okay. like that. So yeah, I've been very, around. Very early then. Very early. Yeah, one, yeah. Right. Now, the problem yeah. is, is I didn't listen to my own brain. Boy, what I wish I would have bought more Bitcoin at that particular point in time. But <laughs> the reality of it is that's kind of how Flux ended up being born. So I was a miner by heart. So as okay. you know, some of these new projects were launching, Ethereum, Zcash, so on and so forth. I built one of the largest mining facilities on the East Coast. So GPU facilities on the East Coast. There's bigger ASIC ones. There, there was bigger ASIC ones and are still are. But I had I went full into it. And, you know, I was able to to mine ETH very early on, mine Zcash very early on. 
And while I was doing these things, affectionately, we call them S coins, right? So, you know, I was an S coin miner, right? You know, I would chase whatever I thought was profitable. But while I was doing that, it dawned on me that this is all well and good, but if we need to get to the next level, like we need to really start talking about, we're not a fork of a fork of a fork of a fork that has a white paper, right? We better come up with the technology to iterate with this because disruptive technology means nothing if you don't have the adoption level that comes with it. And for the adoption level, you need the tangible framework. And that's kind of what got me thinking about Flux. And because I have a background in technology, I started looking at how we could basically build this new, you know, Web3 infrastructure out before anyone else would do it. I met a couple guys in the space and we got together and around that time Zellcash was created and we worked with the original team and we all were like, you know, this is great. We had some move on and some stay, but the core guys are still here. And basically we set our direction that we wanted to go and that's the way we went. And, you know, we have a wonderful, vibrant community that's involved in it. So I, I'm no different than any miner out there or node operator. I just happen to be very vocal and like people like to tap me because I am one of the co-founders and I am passionate about this project because there's a lot to be passionate about. Our ultimate goal, I would say for the team and for the community is to create something other than debt for our children and their children and hand them at least some semblance of privacy decentralization, security, and the opportunity to have some type of freedom of speech. Because really, it comes down to that as well. You talk about uncensorable platforms and so on and so forth. Well, guess what? That's flux. These are rough conversations for people that are centralized, you know, legacy-based technology. It's a great story to see people starting to look forward to both practical aspects of how can we use all this technology I'm curious about, earlier you said, you know, most of the people running nodes on the Flux network are like yourself. They're independent miners, yep. you know, maybe running a few few servers, perhaps a lot actually, in their basement. But you're also now talking to like OVH, who's one of the biggest data center hosting providers yep. in the world. How do you think about the network topology today? How much of it is the independent, you know, handful of servers versus big providers? I think what you're seeing now is the 16,000 plus nodes we have today, they're community members. And because we do yeah. lim limit the number of nodes you can run from any one location, I think it's seven, okay. it, it, it helps with decentralization as well. So the majority of the folks- Oh, interesting. So there's a hard limit that yes. if I want to run more than seven, I've got to come up with a second secondary address, location. Yeah. So we, yeah. made it, we made it a little bit hard for people because we want to make sure we continue to focus on decentralization. And that's why when you yep. go to that dashboard, you see the node distribution. It is a yep. wheel of color because yep. because that's exactly what we wanted. We wanted the home hosters to, you know, you can definitely run a VPS for it. But then again, you're on a third party provider, bring it home, yep. run it in your basement, you know, old servers, old infrastructure. You know, we've got people that provide services for node hosting, all kinds of stuff. Yep. So that was like super important to us because we wanted to keep that, that mantra of decentralization and push that forward. I think the rub with Web 2 and Web 3 and I don't really necessarily think there's a rub, but I think they both present opportunities for folks to start to diversify their technology footprint. Yep. And we've already seen Google lay off people, Facebook laid off people. All these tech companies are starting to lay off people. Why? Because they have to keep those prices up and selling to make money to generate for those data centers. We became Airbnb. Yeah. So we said, you don't need to have a hotel chain run it. And we're not going to rent through there. We're going to do it ourselves. The people are going to be the ones that take care of it and maintain it. So yeah. all the people that run these nodes today are decentralized systems administrators. There's no one that I know of at Web2 level yet. And I'll give a caveat when I expand. These are normal 
people, whether they're running a Jetson or a Raspberry Pi or an old server, or an old computer. There's also, you can buy pre-built nodes by Seed and COTX, COTS or whatever. There's lots of people doing business cases around it. Yeah. But our ultimate goal is to make sure it's as decentralized as possible. However, we need to be open to the legacy infrastructure as well. So our partnership with OVH and Lumen is specifically around their customer clientele that has starting to understand Web3, I can reduce my cost, I can reduce my footprint, I can be decentralized, I can have redundancy. How do I get there? And Lumen, you're gonna help me, or OVH, you're gonna help me, or whoever else. You have to help me figure that out because I run a lot of infrastructure there. Maybe I don't wanna move everything to Web3, but I wanna have exposure to that, so how do I get there? And yeah. so I think you'll see big players naturally gravitate toward the space, uh, we have somebody that's getting ready to deploy over 500 websites. Basically, their whole company model is they provide design, updates, and upkeep on these WordPress websites. Those websites will be running on Flux. And he's going to spend fractionally pennies on the dollar. So they're excited to get it into Flux because one, it's going to save them money. Two, it, you know, maybe they can reduce the price to their customers. And now it all of a sudden becomes a value add for them. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good positives there. That's really interesting. So there is some baseline, I think I saw on the website, of kind of minimal hardware. And when I'm requesting a node as a user who's planning to deploy an app, there's a clear spec there in terms yes. of CPU cores, like an Amazon console, and I go yes. look at it. Like yes. RAM, disk, CPU types. Mm -hmm. And I think the rewards for running one of these nodes are kind of tied to the capacity of the hardware. So you make a little bit more in block rewards if you run a beefier node than if yes. you run a more casual one. But in, in a lot of ways, this is almost going back to the very early days of the web where people really were hosting their own web servers. The, right? OG, were, the OGs remember it. What's old is new yeah. again, right? I mean, yeah. what does Flux run on? Linux. You know, yeah. That's what it comes back to. It's like Linux yeah. and distributed compute, right? But we're doing it with a different flair because now we have the yep. ability to connect all of these players to one massive supercomputer. So Flux yeah. just cracked into the top 100 supercomputers and we haven't even deployed our GPUs on that side yet. That's pretty well, impressive. I mean, th that brings up a great question. So, you know, I can imagine on the static websites, like that doesn't take a lot of compute horsepower. It certainly doesn't take exotic hardware or storage devices. But I saw on your website, you're talking quite a bit about machine learning and artificial intelligence, like yes. the topic of the day. And those certainly do take, you know, meaningful computational horsepower, whether that's, that's CPU farms or GPUs. The two seem kind of conceptually opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Like low cost, highly decentralized, anybody can run one and machine learning infrastructure. How does that work in the network? Is there another class of server that you have to run that's maybe more expensive or is there something else Yes, going on? so we have three tiers. We have the Cumulus, okay. Nimbus and Stratus. Cumulus is our entry model, it takes a thousand flux and you can deploy a node and you get a per percentage of the block reward. Nimbus is our mid-tier and they're all enterprise quality. And to go to your point earlier, it's constantly benchmarked to make mm -hmm. sure that your node is meeting specs. So if it doesn't, then it falls out and it becomes a potato. We call the potato nodes, right? So our uptime is, you know, nobody claims 100% uptime, but our uptime is like 99.999% because when you deploy on Flux, you're not just deploying one instance, you're deploying three instances and they'll be round robin anywhere in the globe. So if one is okay. lost, so, so somebody's node goes potato node, right? 
You have two yep. other nodes running and then they it automatically spawns a third. It does look conventionally a little bit different than like standard infrastructure, but this model sure. is much more robust. And so we have the three tiers of nodes. It's a thousand flux lockup and then a 12,000 and then it's 40,000 is the big one, right? Okay. So the 40,000, which is our Stratus node, is where we use a lot of computational heavy resources. So your website okay. that now runs private data that's going to be running on a Stratus node versus a Cumulus node, which is built more for like entry-level data. We call them actually Fractus nodes as well because they're our storage component. We deployed Flux IPFS across the network. That's where they'll run. So they get incentivized with a little bit more Flux by providing more regular hard drive space. And then we even have one it node on top of that, which is our which is our Cirrus nodes that hasn't been re released yet. And that's going to basically target our AI and edge compute. And that'll be all NVIDIA Jetsons and Raspberry Pis. It'll only cost you five flux to deploy and you'll be able to participate in the in the AI marketplace. And so I'd love to talk a little bit about the tokenomics here. Cause one of the questions that I think a, a number of projects are being faced with right now that have created these utility tokens is, can I just pay you in dollars or euros or a stable coin? I noticed on your website, all the prices are denominated in flux, which means as a user, I need to go acquire some flux, right? Which you guys have set up a couple different fiat on ramps and you've set up some exchange partnerships. So it doesn't look too hard, but I've spent the last two years in crypto. I would imagine for a user that's maybe coming new to this, how do you all think about that? Like, is there a path in the future where maybe you do accept something besides Flux or is that Ian, key to Ian, the project? Ian, I'm, I'm ready to blow your mind. Ready? Yeah, let's do it. As a technologist, I am in the same place as you, right? When I was putting together my capital and operational budgets for the year and I was going down through line items, I couldn't arbitrarily say, we may need 25,000 flux or we could need 5,000 flux or it could be anywhere in between. So you can't yeah. really, from a corporation standpoint, as a business standpoint, you cannot really budget in flux because it can be a volatile asset. Yeah, so it's, it's we, a foreign exchange problem, right? In the same way, you know, if you're trying to think about doing capital Capital deployment into a foreign country and you've got to pay in local currencies. Like it's yeah. a really hard thing to manage. We figured out how to do it. And that is essentially Great. we offer a fiat onboarding ramp. So you can pay with a credit card, Apple Pay, Google Pay, anything you want. And behind the scenes, it's actually settled in flux. So if, if I'm a technologist or if I'm just a small business owner and I want to try to figure out what my cost is going to be for a year, I'll be able to go in and see that in fiat denominations. I'll know that it's Great. okay. If I'm going to deploy this infrastructure across the year, my website's going to cost me 350 bucks for the whole year for all my stuff, right? I can put in a budget and I can understand that. We obviously allow people to deploy in flux. We are the very first project out of any project that has in integrated both crypto.com and Coinbase Pay inside of Flux for deployment. So what does that mean? That means that I can use my Coinbase account. I can use my crypto.com account. I can use any of the assets that I held within each of those for deployments on Flux. And then what happens is as soon as that is verified and the blockchain verifies the transaction, it is then settled back to Flux again. I call that passive market making. So essentially Flux is the underpinning of all the fiat on-ramp, right? It makes the whole world go round. But we understand there needs to be different flavors because not everybody likes chocolate. But guess what? If we give them chocolate, strawberry, vanilla, and the whole nine yards, they're going to be very happy with that. Very astute observation. And it's something for us to really get to like real adoption. We need to have these components in place. So a lot of people say, well, why would I want to pay to deploy on Flux in fiat? Well, you're one person and businesses and other people that are bu budgeting. We need to make it very friendly for that. 
I love the user simplicity, right? More ways to onboard into the ecosystem yes. that are where the user is today versus making them jump through 15 hoops to get there. I noticed on your website, you guys, not only do you have obviously this very comprehensive hosting platform, you've also got a wallet. Talk to yeah. me about how the wallet fits into, into this. What are you doing there? So we knew very early on, and actually the first product that Flux actually developed was Zellcore, which is our multi-asset platform. Okay. We call it a Web3 browser because really that's what it is. We go back to the OG days, multi-asset was like you had 20 assets and you just kept them in there and you didn't do anything with them. Zellcore is a completely interactive ecosystem. So Flux utilizes Zellcore for Zell ID. So you have to create a self-sovereign ID as you do this. So everything gets controlled through that Zellcore process, although there are other ways you can do it as well. But for ease of use, Zellcore is definitely where you want to go. And it has hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of different projects, thousands of tokens. And what that does is we started pulling the DAP piece back to it as well. So you'll see a browser. You can go now and use Solana, ETH, and soon KDA NFTs right inside of it. If Flux is the infrastructure that runs it all, Zellcore is the web browser that pulls all those components together. So we have a great team there. Flux team and the Zellcore team are siloed. So they're two different projects doing two different things. We do have some cross-pollination. So we're working with the Flux folks, we're working with the Zellcore folks and so on and so forth. But it is the one of the best multi-asset platforms out there. You have to have a little bit of crypto knowledge to use it. it can be a little bit intimidating for like new first-time users. But as they start to warm up to it and they start to use it, they'll realize how powerful it really is. So it's a big part of the project and it's a glue that helps us keep this project growing very quickly because we don't have to necessarily worry about developing the wallet-based pieces or updates or it, that's all taken care of by Zellcore, which the founders are the same founders that founded Flux. So they all work together. That's definitely something I'm going to go check out. I've got it queued up to download here after we get done recording. I'm sensitive on time here. We've got maybe time for one more question. I, I'm going to combine two ideas here. So when I look out across the landscape, you know, we've had a number of different Web3 infrastructure projects or companies join us on the show, like Tenderly, which is kind of a dev tools platform, was here a couple months back. Touched on IPFS earlier, which is another, I think, really popular infrastructure level protocol. When you imagine the the future of Flux, are you building all of that in-house? I mean, you've already got massive scope and I think de delivered on a lot of that from what we've discussed today. Or do you actually see almost a decentralized ecosystem who in aggregate start to look like public cloud providers in terms of features and capabilities offered? Or does it all come from you? What, what's your strategy no, I, there? I mean, the one thing about Flux that we acknowledge very early on is we're not going to be the master of all things. We're going to focus on one particular fundamental piece, and that's providing the infrastructure deployment piece. And then we're going to tap into projects that are logical. So you could see Filecoin, you could see storage, you could see Acash, all these different products. You could see them working with Flux. People often say, because people like to ask this, they say, Dan, who's your competition? And I said, I don't have competition. We have opportunity. For us to get to the next level of the internet, Flux can't do it alone. We're going to need yeah. other people developing fundamental pieces of the project that we can then incorporate and all work together. So the tribalistic days of crypto is over. And like, if you're listening to this right now, I hate to be the one to break it to you because here it is, right? We're starting to see regulation. We're starting to see involvement. We're starting to see corporate people come into it. If we want to remain decentralized at our ethos and at our heart and put it around the technology, we have to put down our tribalistic bags and we have to start working as a blockchain-based community. That means that sometimes it's easy to work with the people you like. It's hard to work with the people you don't. And I would work with any of the ones that I don't like, sans maybe one or two projects, which I just don't agree with 
with. But, you know, we've been very welcoming to just about every blockchain-based project out there. And even like the Solana ecosystem, you know, we reached out to them about deploying validators. I mean, they lost, what, 60% of their validator nodes on centralized deployments. So this is where the values at. Whether you're proof of stake, whether you're proof of work, whether you're something in between, if you put decentralization at your heart, then Flux is the one you want to work with because they are really about giving you the tools and in that toolbox to do the things that you need to do. Daniel, that's an awesome place to wrap up. I love the broad and embracing ecosystem view. We'll link in the show notes to all the resources we touched on today so that people, if they're looking for a place to run applications on a decentralized cloud, they can get started with Flux quickly. Thanks so much for your time today. Ian, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey there. Thanks for listening to another episode of Public Key. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and our newly launched TikTok, where we share our favorite moments captured in this podcast and other great content from the Chainalysis team. And if you're into crypto policy and financial compliance, I bet you'll enjoy our new YouTube show, Know Your Crypto Compliance, hosted by my colleagues, Clark Flint Barr and Caitlin Barnett. Do you feel it's tough to keep up with all the crypto tech and compliance news in the media? Well, I've got the solution for you. Head to the Chainalysis website and scroll to the bottom where you can add your email address to our newsletter. This week, we highlighted the recent hack related to the Algorand blockchain, FATF suspending Russia's membership due to the invasion of Ukraine, and all the latest regulation and law enforcement actions. You'll even find currently open roles to join the Chainalysis team. See you soon.